uh, uh, chapter, chapter 8, verse 58, and I'm going to read through to verse 5. It says in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, now to them are the self-righteous. It's the religious community. They're the ones who do not believe that they have any sort of spiritual need. And so Jesus said to them, most surely I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now we know that this is a reference by Christ of his deity. Well, that's how those who were listening to him took it, because what did they do? Verse 59, they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, it's obvious that in chapter 9, verse 1, it picks up right where chapter 8 left off. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. You have this man that can't see, but Christ is able to see him. Christ is able to see him so clearly. I can relate to this. I was blind as well, but Christ saw me and he had mercy on me and he gave me grace. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So by referring to him as Rabbi, what we're being told here by the Holy Spirit, there's a teaching opportunity. Whenever there's a teaching opportunity, for us there's a learning opportunity. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so again, you've got this contrast. You've got this contrast between the self-righteous and this one man who is not only helpless, but looked down upon. And these are people that Well, Jesus passed by the self-righteous, and, well, that kind of person, that kind of person that has some sort of exterior attraction, they can be people that we're drawn to, and we've got to be careful of that. Because a lot of times we'll walk by somebody like this blind man, this person who Christ walked to, and we'll go to that which, well, maybe they'll be able to do something for us. Or maybe there's just some sort of whatever the attraction may be, But true Christian love is doing for those who are unable to do for you. It's to just give of yourself just simply because this person has need. This person has need and they know it and Christ met him. The other people have need, but they didn't recognize the need. And again, Christ walked past them. So although Jesus has come for all of mankind, we've been looking at the contrast between those who would receive him and those who would reject him. We saw those who are blinded to their need for Jesus because of their own perceived righteousness. These are those who really never really looked seriously at themselves. See, they're never able to overlook the sins of other people, but they very easily overlook the sins of themselves. Their imperfections, they choose to ignore that while pointing out the imperfections of others. If you know somebody that is self-righteous like this, and Maybe you are like it as well. I know in my growth in my Christian faith, there were certain self-righteous times as well that the Lord did a work in my life. Certain areas that we would look down our nose at other people. But then what I really realized, a lot of the times what I was looking down my nose at, you know, when I was viewing on other people was really the things that I struggled with. And and I wouldn't condemn myself, but when I saw myself in somebody else, I could be very quickly to condemn them. And so these are those who believe that they are right with God. And there's a 
variety of reasons why people who are not right with God believe that they are right with God, family, race, religious affiliation, whatever it might be, but in actuality, they're blind. They're blind because that's not what makes a man, woman right in the sight of God. We were told earlier in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, But as many as received him, received him, how do we receive Jesus Christ? We receive Jesus Christ by belief through faith. But as many as received him, to them, to those people who received him, he gave the right. God has given us the ability to have this be a right in our lives. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become. That speaks of a necessary change. To become children of God. So before we were children of the world, now we're children of God to those who believe in his name. Now it just doesn't mean you believe in the name of Jesus. It means those who believe in the nature of in the essence of who Christ is. What he, why is John writing this gospel? For the express purpose of displaying Jesus Christ as God. So it speaks of his nature, I'm sorry, it speaks of his essence, and the nature of him is he's good, and he's gracious, and that he's approachable. And as I approach him, I receive grace. Verse 13, who were born, not of blood, the only thing that you inherited from your parents was their sinful nature. You don't inherit any sort of righteousness because they have no righteousness. And even if they're saved, the only righteousness they do have is that which Christ has given to them. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't do enough good deeds because the only way to get into heaven based upon your works is to be as good as God and as good as God all the time. And so one sin, it kind of messes up the whole plan who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Nobody else can get you in. And as a parent, you you understand that. You so desire your kids to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you pray, and, and, and you do all that you can. You teach and you train, but ultimately it's going to be them who make their decision for the Lord. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, Back here in chapter 8, those Pharisees, the religious leaders, they've got a problem because the only way they're going to be right before God is to be of God. But what are they doing? They're rejecting God. And you have that rich picture as they have Lord God, the Messiah that they waited for, right before them. What do they do? They pick up stones. How insane is that? They're killing Christ off in their life. And even more than that, they're killing off the only means that they're able to truly be right in the sight of God. And again, that's why Christ cried in his triumphal entry, because they they should have known. They should have known this day, the day of their visitation. They should have been aware of it. Why? Because they had the Word of God. And these guys, they knew the Word of God backward and forward, but they exalted themselves instead of exalting God. And so you can be so close but you can be so far away as well. Then we have the second picture in this blind men of those who are blind but realize they are blind and want to be healed of their blindness. Although they can't see, they're seriously searching. They're seriously searching. This is anyone who believes that they're not right with God but seeks to be. And it's not even so much that this blind man was seeking anything this day. I would imagine this was a day like any other day as he was 
led to the area of the temple and he was placed there for the purpose of begging that hopefully he would be able to get enough to to be able to continue to survive. And I was thinking about that. That's what I did pretty much every day apart from Christ. I had my place, we call it a job, and I didn't necessarily need anybody to guide me there, but I would drive myself there, spend my day there in order to scratch out enough to make a living go home, sit down, watch TV, play the kids, whatever it might be, and then do it all over again, work for the weekend. Finally, Friday is here, but then on Sunday, i got to go back to that. And there was no real meaning. There was no real purpose. And think of this blind man. Think of the magnitude of what it means to be blind. Now, this man was blind from birth. He wouldn't know what a color looks like. He wouldn't really know what a human being looks like. I mean, you can feel and get an idea, but he wouldn't see the beauty of a morning or the beauty of a sunset or any of these things that we so easily take for granted. This man was completely and totally blind. And we need to look at this in a spiritual context as well. Because what is happening at this point? Well, the Holy Spirit meets us where we are at in that particular condition. Now, Obviously, Jesus is not physically walking into our lives. But what does he do? He sends his people into our lives. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we were convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because we were convicted of those things, we surrendered ourselves. And we were living in darkness, but then we came into God's wonderful light. Now, again, there's a huge contrast here. The Jews, the Jews have been told from birth that they're righteous that they're special people. Now, they were a special people just simply because God set his love upon them, but then they came into the belief that they were just simply special for who they were. This blind man, he was told from birth that he was simply a sinner, that there was something wrong, something was up, that he was lower class, and he was shunned by society. I I, I don't know what it feels like to be completely and, and totally shunned by society, but but... We, we can so see people like that. You know, what, when I say like that, that, that have some sort of disability or whatever it might be. And, and it's not a pretty thing to look at. And, and then there's always the mindset of, what if that guy, what if that guy is me? Or, or what if that guy is one of my children? Or what if there's an accident that happens? Or whatever it might be. And we don't like looking at those things. And so we can so easily shove those things out of our sight. And if you would kind of bring that around to the spiritual realm, God so easily could have shoved you out of his sight because you were an ugly thing. I mean, an ugly thing, it was sin that caused you to be ugly in the sight of God. But he didn't do that. He entered in and ministered. I was reminded, my wife and I, I don't remember what we were talking about. We were talking to somebody else, but um, I'll talk about them because they're not here tonight. That's what we do with people who don't come to church. But Ed and Marie Hackman, you know William and Daniel. Daniel sits out, he's special needs, he makes some noises out there, and he's been in here a couple times, and it can be uncomfortable at times, there's no doubt about that, but you need to understand their history, at least their history with our church. We had a group that was going door to door, and they live in the general area, and they came up to their house, and they knocked on their door, and they said, hi, we're from Calvary Chapel, and Ed answered the door, and he says, well, we're, we're pretty much done with church. Oh, well, what do you mean you're done with church? Well, we've been going to churches, and we've gone to two churches, and both of them approached us. Because of our sons, they asked us to leave. They didn't want anything to do with them. I mean, can you imagine that, a church? To, to have that 
I, I can't even imagine. I, I, I couldn't face God if I, if I did that. And praise God, the, the people that went and ministered to them were able to convince them to come, and they've been coming for now for, what, five, six years or, or whatever it might be. See, those people are special in the sight of God. Man can so easily overlook them, over, pass by them, or, or even push them into the corner. But what did Jesus do? Verse 59, those people who thought they were so special, he walked past them. Matter of fact, they're being described here as those who cast stones at the Lord. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he passed by for a purpose. He saw a man who was blind. This man was blind from birth. And so you've got the self-righteous, you've got this humbled man blind from birth. Guess which one gets saved? The one who gets saved is the one who could do absolutely nothing for himself. The others believed that they could do nothing for, um, everything for themselves, but in actuality, they could do nothing for themselves as well. Now, there's that lukewarm church, the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation. And the Lord Jesus Christ, what he's doing in chapters 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, he's bringing charges against the church. He says, to the angel of the church, write. He's given instruction to the apostle John. Angel, that word angel, can also be translated messenger. So he's not talking about an angelic being. He's talking to the pastor of that church. He's talking to the person who is to convey God's will to that church. And he speaks to them and he says, so then because you are lukewarm, they're not on fire for the Lord, but they're not that which is just kind of completely cast off the Lord. And really what they're doing is they're just going through the motions. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now he's not talking about physical wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so that's the perfect description of those in chapter 8 that the Lord is addressing. Matter of fact, it was the self-righteous. When you see Jesus' time here on earth, who did he have the strongest words for? The people who thought they were something based upon who they were. Those are the ones who Jesus, if you will, got in the face of. So Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple and they're passing by the Jews and they come upon this man who is begging at the temple gate. I don't know if Jesus stopped to give him money or if he just stopped to talk to him, but he got the apostles' attention. Now, what you need to see when the Lord ministers to somebody, this man, this blind man, it can so easily easy be able to look at him as exhibit A. He's not exhibit A in the sight of the Lord. This is real ministry. He's meeting this man, obviously, in a very real and a very profound way. And the picture you need to see here is, is that the people that the world so easily cast off, and unfortunately religion cast off, are the people that we need to meet. And we need to see them not just as ministry, but I need to see them as a person, as a person that I'm ministering to. But as I do do that, and it's the picture that we see here, it's a witness. It's a witness. And that's what's going on with the apostles here. Jesus, if you will, is witnessing to this man, and just that whole process is a witness to them. It's, there's going to be, years later, after the Lord's death, there's going to be another man who is there in the temple, and Peter and John are going to see him. He was a man who was born lame, and he is going to be healed. So right now, here's teaching and instructing and preparing. 
And so again, this man is not just exhibit A. This is a real man who the Lord is doing a real work in, but also the Lord does work on many fronts. He does a work in our lives as we have the opportunity to minister and those who are able to see and to look upon. So Jesus stops and gives his attention, however he does so, to this man. And now the apostles' attention is focused upon what is going on here as well. And so again, verses 1 and 2, Now as Jesus passed by, passed by the other guys, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now it's important to understand that this man is blind from birth. I talked about it a little bit, but in that society, and really all societies, if you're blind from birth, it's not an injury that's going to heal. It's more than likely not something that's going to just go away. Matter of fact, we'll see later on, it's unheard of that somebody who was blind from birth should be healed. So the idea here is that this man is absolutely blind, and he has absolutely no hope, at least not into this day that Christ entered into his life. So he saw a man who was born blind from birth, or who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Their question displays their spiritual ignorance, but in ignorance, there's always opportunity for spiritual instruction. And so, when you have somebody who is proclaiming to be wise in their own sight, somebody who you recognize as being spiritual ignorant, now, we always use ignorance as a slam against somebody. We're all ignorant to a degree. And there's nothing wrong with being ignorant. The, the, the problem is when you remain ignorant, ignorant, especially willfully ignorant. And so, what is a disciple? He's a learner. Why are you a learner? Because there's an element of ignorance within your life. And so, if you have somebody who's spiritual ignorant, you need to see it not as an opportunity to attack or an opportunity to shun, but an opportunity to teach. Ask them three questions. Why, how, and who? Why do you believe like you believe? How did you come to believe it? And who is the source of your belief? A lot of times they just be- people just believe what they believe because they've thought things up in their own mind. And you'll see people either get angry or just quiet or whatever because they're embarrassed because they understand that they don't really know what they believe or they don't really know why they believe it. And again, it's the greatest damage that a born-again believer does into the lives of those, especially to our children, when we don't teach, when we don't know ourselves, but also, but we don't teach them not only what we believe, and we usually teach them what we believe, but do you teach them why you believe, what you believe? I'll teach them that Jesus Christ is Lord, but do I teach them why I believe Jesus Christ is Lord? I'll teach them that, well, you need to believe in Jesus Christ so you'll go to heaven. But why did I receive Jesus Christ? Because I was a sinner. Why? Because I could do nothing for myself. Why? And you can go into certain proofs. It's why we teach our children the curriculum here at this church that we do, Answers in Genesis curriculum, because it's apologetically based. We're preparing our kids to give a reason for the hope that dwells within inside of them. Right now, even right now as I speak, they're learning lessons about creation. It's what the ocean commotion, that was about the commotion that happened during Noah's day. And so everything is based upon um, creation and 
and the Lord's hand in that and how God moves in the lives of His people because the schools are teaching them something completely opposite. And so we teach them biblical concepts at home, but if I don't teach them, well, if I teach them what we are to believe, but if I don't teach them why they believe it, and then I say, okay, now go to school, sit there, be quiet, and I want you to learn everything that that teacher tells you. But what happens when that teacher is teaching them contrary to the things that you taught them and the things that you believe? What does that do to a little brain? It's going to pop a breaker somewhere along the line. Either that or he's just going to flat Dwight laughed at that because he's an electrician. <laughs> but they're going to cast it off at some point, more than likely, because the teacher is going to tell them what they believe and the teacher is going to spend six hours a day for the whole school year telling them why they believe what they believe. Something that, well, if you don't do, you're going to lose that kid to the world. And so when a child really, you've been teaching them how to think, or at least the schools have, teaching them how to think all of their lives, and then they go off into college where they're encouraged to think for themselves based upon what they tell them to think, um, we lose them. We lose them. We lose them to the world. And it's happened time after time after time after time again. And so, it's common knowledge that this man was blind. So the idea is there's no doubt and there's no hope. No doubt and no hope for this man. That being the case, their question is, is he blinded because of the sin? And and the idea, there's, there's a lot of secular Jewish tradition that John addresses as well and was even present in the apostles. And just the nature of the verbiage, is he blind because of the sin of a previous life or maybe even a current or future sin? His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, we know that man has an appointment to die just simply one time. One time and then judgment. And that being the case, yeah, there's the sins of our past, but... I I don't come back and pay price for sins. That's the whole idea behind reincarnation. And there was that mindset. There was a uh, certain theories in the Jewish culture along those lines as well. I mean, think of it. Apart from Christ, wouldn't that just kind of make sense? You know, if we didn't have the truth that, okay, well, I, I need to be a good person and I'll work at being good, and my standards are the Pharisees, and if I can't be that good, maybe I'll get a second chance. Because man does not want to ever admit, apart from God, that it's hopeless. Because man always needs to have hope. And at the end of your life, when you get there, and you realize that I haven't been quite good enough, well, maybe I'll get another chance. Well, that was a that was a concept within the Jewish culture, and I believe that's part of what's being addressed here. But again, he says, his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they were of the mindset that, and we've seen this in some of the, the things that we'll see on TV, in the health and wealth movement or whatever, because this person is sick, must be some sort of sin within their life. Maybe it's just an absence of faith, or maybe it's a direct sin. Now, there is the possibility of having a physical deformity because of sin, but this man, again, was born, and he was born uh, blind from, well, the day that he was born. Now, again, possibility, venereal disease, 
drugs today, improper prenatal care, whatever it might be. But the context here is punishment for sin and not the effects of sin. And so they're looking upon him. He must be being punished for something that either he did or his parents did. Well, right off the bat, being punished for something that his parents did, that's unbiblical. If you are reading through the one-year Bible, you saw a king exercise this, but this was what he was referring to. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 20 through 23, it says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked man turns or repents, from all of his sins which he has committed and keeps all of my statutes and does, not, uh, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live and shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done. He shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? So, Biblically speaking, the answer did this man is this man blind because of the sins of his parents, with the context that backdrop being punishment, and obviously biblically the answer is no, that, that's not what it is. Was it his sin? Is it something that he did? Well, again, it couldn't be something since he was born from birth. It had to be something he did in another life or whatever, because how could he have created a sin in the womb? That would make absolutely no sense as well. But Jesus is setting them straight. What is he doing? He's teaching them. He's instructing them. He's going to meet this man because he loves this man. This man's not exhibit A. This man's a real person. But again, there's an opportunity to work in so many different areas. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, it doesn't mean that they weren't sinners. The idea is they did not cause a sin that caused the blindness. Neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This man, we don't know how old he was, but for all of those years, it was everything was working together for the good for that day, for that particular day. Now, if you could sit down with that blind man, I don't know how old the blind man was. Let's just, his parents are still alive. Take a random age. He's a man, so let's just go 25 just for sake of argument. Let's say he's 25. He's been blind for 25 years. Now, if you could sit down and talk to him afterwards, and, and you know, I'm talking about us today, if we were be able to have a conversation with this man, yeah, you know what? We, we, we talked about you at church the other day. And, and the, remember that day that the Lord entered into your life and remember the work that he did? And this guy, yeah, I remember that. Of course I remember that day. That was the day I, I, I got my eyesight. It was an amazing thing as he, he, he entered into my life, seemingly out of nowhere, and he worked a miracle in my life. And, and then you could tell him, the generations, for 2,000 years, people have been teaching other people about what happened that day. People have been coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because what he did in your life that day. And, and not only, we see at the beginning here, he's being healed physically. See, at the end of the chapter, he's healed spiritually as well. And then you could go back and ask him, was it all worth it? Was it all worth you know, Those 25 years, those 25 years of blindness, were they all worth it? And I would imagine that if Christ touched you and you opened your eyes and you saw Jesus, 
you would say every moment of it was worth it. Because truly it worked together for the good. It worked together for the good in that man, both there physically, but also for eternity, for the lessons that were learned through the apostles and those who were to follow all the way through to us here, even this evening, some 2,000 years later. And so God's works are being revealed in this man. Later on in chapter 11, Lazarus, Lazarus died, but it says, why does he die? He died for the glory of God. Why? So Christ could be seen as having power over life and especially power over death. And so, the things that we suffer, some people, we suffer things from birth. We suffer certain health issues or whatever. It may not be a physical infirmity to this magnitude, but that's why Paul tells us all things are working together for the good. Now, if this man was 24, 18, 16, he didn't understand the good part of it. He probably thought he was cursed. Maybe he thought... You know, I've done something in the sight of God that God would punish me. And so there was all those years of struggle. But what does God do? God is glorified through the struggle. There was that day that this man opened his eyes and he saw Christ. So why all this hardship? Why all of this sickness? Why all this disease in our lives? Because it's in those hard things that God gets our attention. It's in those hard things that God is glorified as he overcomes those things. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So this hardship, it's, it, we're going to be looking at this in depth on, uh, on Sunday, but this hardship is, is common to us all. Hardship is the anvil by which we are formed into the image that God desires for us to be. Before I became a pastor, I've mentioned it so many times before without getting into the own story again, God struck us against, my wife and I, against a very hard anvil to change us, to, to form us into something that was going to be useful for his purposes. Now, that was pounding back then, but there's still some tapping and still some fine work that needs to be done and will need to be done until the day that we die. But nonetheless, it's that hardship. Some of us he uses a bigger hammer with, but he uses a hammer with us all. In Job chapter 42, verse 10, it says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. All things work together for the good. In Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, after going astray in the correction of the Lord, but now I keep your word. And the hardship, the hardship is just simply so that we can see what God is able to do. It's to see the miracle of deliverance. Not just deliverance salvation-wise, but deliverance from the hardships that go on in our lives. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 He speaks of that thorn was delivered to him, that thorn in the flesh. And the idea, keeping in mind that Paul was a tent maker, that translation of the term thorn would be better translated. You can look it up, tent stake. And the idea is he's been given this tent stake in order to hammer him down to the ground to keep him from becoming full of himself. Because what did he just finish talking about? He finished, just finished talking about this revelation that God gave him, this picture of heaven. But also there was this messenger of Satan that was given to him to, to, to buffet him, to keep him as a thorn in the flesh connected to the ground that he would not think more of himself than he should. 
And he came to the conclusion, therefore, when I'm weak, and it's a lesson Paul learned, when I'm weak, it's then that I'm strong. This man was going to have a powerful testimony. You've got that powerful testimony. You've got just the strong testimony that this guy has. Don't look at it in the flesh. Look at it in the spirit. Because what they cannot deny is how Christ, those who would oppose you, how Christ has worked in your life. Later on, what's this man going to say? You say he's a sinner. I don't know. The thing that I know was, I was blind, but now I see. He's kind of getting down the brass tacks. And that's the same argument that I would have for Christ. I could go throughout the scriptures, and if they're not buying it all, I still got my testimony. And you can say whatever you want about the scriptures, whatever you believe, whatever your philosophy may be, but I do know that the day that Christ entered into my life, my life was changed. I feel very strongly about that. I feel very strongly about the changed life of the born-again believer. I think that's the greatest proof of the existence of God. And I think it's a proof, I know it's a proof, that each and every one of us need to realize within our lives. That's why I keep saying the same thing over again. You should look at the timeline of your life and you should be able to see that day of your salvation. Maybe you don't remember the exact day, but at least that time frame of your salvation, see who you used to be and see who you are now and understand it's God who made the change. And as you see that, as you go through the difficulties in life, you're always able to refer back to that point And understand that God did an amazing work in your life, that I am a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have that? I mean, do you have, you don't have to answer me, but do you have that? I just want to drive the point home. Because everybody sitting here, if if you're a born-again believer, if you consider yourself to be a born-again believer, you should have that point, and you need to hold that point dear. I have that in my Christian life, and I have that in my pastoral life. Because... Things get hard in the midst of ministry. And there's times that I can look back and, are we even supposed to be here? I mean, am I, is, did God really call me to be a pastor? You know, doubt always enters in, regardless of whatever it is that God has called you to do and, and, and who he's called you to be and, and, and whatever it might be. But I always have these little miracles that when we were starting the church, these little miracles that I can look back on and remember, he who began a good work in me, is going to be faithful to complete it. He who did a good work in Ontario is going to be faithful to complete it. And that keeps you moving forward in the Lord. And so in your physical life and in your spiritual life, you need to understand that it's all about Jesus Christ. This man, this blind man, can always look back at this day and see the change that God worked in his life. Verse 4, Jesus telling his disciples, I must work the works of him who sent me, we know that to be the Father in heaven, while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. Now the daytime that he is referring to is the allotted time that he has been given here on earth. Now what is he to be doing during that allotted time here on earth is to deliver the gospel through words and through deeds and through fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture. So everything that John points out, remember at the end of the Gospel, John said there's many more things that would contain many volumes that if I should write about them, but he's saying these things were written that you may believe. And so John chose to include these things, this light that he experienced from the Lord Jesus Christ for the express purpose of belief. Now there's nighttime. Nighttime would be a time, this isn't the night, 
This isn't the contrast as far as good and evil. Nighttime spoken of here would be a time to rest or a time to cease working. So again, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, Jesus himself is no longer in the world, not as he was during this time. Christ is still with us, obviously. But he wasn't, isn't with us as he was during that time, not as a light. Now, if we look at the sun as it comes up in the morning, it illuminates the world. But we know that some 12 hours later, there's going to be the absence of the sun and darkness is going to come. But even if you turn out, could turn out all the lights, you go up to the desert or out to the desert, up to the mountains or whatever, it can get pretty dark, but never does it get pitch black. A few years ago, I went backpacking, went to the high country of the Sierras. There was this lake up there, little peninsula, and at night we would lay out there. And there was just absolutely no light anywhere as far as man-made light, but it was still illuminated. Why? Because the effects of the sun that had been there was still producing the light. It was reflected off of the moon. It was, well, the stars themselves are light sources, but it was reflected off of the moon. Well, they're still learning. They're not getting all of the information, but they're getting this concept that Christ as the light is amongst us, but at some point no longer will be. Later on, they're going to learn that they are to be reflectors of that light. And so in actuality, although Christ has left, He's never really left because He left the apostles. Apostles are disciples. Disciples aren't necessarily apostles. There were 12 apostles who were disciples, but there were also many other disciples that never became an apostle. So there were many people that Christ had ministered to, these many lights that went out from, again, that insignificant country to be that witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we have this gospel here in this story here as well but later on in a few chapters john 14 12 he's going to say most surely i say to you when he says most surely it's as if he's getting in their face and wanting to them to receive the point most surely i say to you he who believes in me the works that i do he will do also and greater works than these he will do because i go to my father greater in volume there's more people going out there doing the work of the Lord. Christ is being glorified and the light is shining and it's shining through those who are reflecting Christ to this world. Why are the times so dark? Because we're not going and letting our little light shine to the degree that those in the past have. And the light's being extinguished through a church that is no longer on fire for the Lord but has allowed the darkness to overcome them. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8-12, through 12, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk or live your life as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And so... We're to let our light shine. Why? Because light always overcomes darkness. And so, are you able to be that light that God has commanded you to be? To be that witness that God desires for you. And I want to close just with this thought. Here's Christ. He's being that witness. And that witness had an effect that reverberated throughout the ages. The story that we're we're being told of. And there's so many more. There's so many more in the book of Acts that reverberates throughout the ages. These men who stood up, 
in order to be a witness. It can be a fearful thing. When I go door-to-door, actually we have door-to-door ministry that's going out this Saturday. There's an uneasiness there. There's always an uneasiness when you're being challenged, whatever it may be. But every time that I've gone out, it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. It's not been a blessing because I've necessarily led people to the Lord. I haven't led people to the Lord every time I've gone out. I had somebody just flat out refuse the gospel. Understand that he was a sinner and you could tell that he was grieved because of it, but he just flat out refused the gospel. <clears throat> so it can even grieve you to that degree, but there's just something about knowing that you're doing what God has called you and commanded you to do it, to know that you're walking in the perfect obedience of the Lord. And so I just want to close with the man Moses. Moses was called to do an amazing work for God, and he didn't just jump right into the commission. In chapter 3, verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly, God said, So I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. So a couple of things here. Here's Moses, he said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of Israel? Well, that's exactly what we've been called to do. Pharaoh and Egypt's a picture of the world. We're to go into the world and lead the people out. Now, as Moses was in the world, we can look back in hindsight, it was all about God doing the work. He just simply told Moses to go and then to lead them out. Now, if you're leading people out, that means that Moses didn't force them to follow, they willingly followed why because of god and it says and he said verse 12 i will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that i have sent you when you have brought the people out of egypt you shall serve god on this mountain so god's saying you're going to do this by faith because i'm telling you it's as if it has already happened you're more than a conqueror in this and you're going to realize that one day we'll be back here and i'll be showing you this great victory that i worked just simply because you went Well, he didn't simply go. He argued with God. And if you skip over to chapter 4, verses 10 through 17, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I don't really believe that. I I think he was just as we are. I, I, I think he was just examining himself and his own abilities and realizing I'm falling very short. And it's all God ever tells you to do is to open your mouth and speak and he'll do the work. Verse 11, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. And that's the person that always seems to be going and doing everything at church is whomever else. Whomever is his first name, else is his last name. Problem is, if he doesn't go, then nobody goes. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And then you shall take this rod in your hands in which you shall do the signs. And so he's telling Moses, you're going to go, and you're going to speak. Now, when they go, do you ever see Aaron saying anything? 
I, I would imagine when they finally got there and the Spirit came upon Moses, I would imagine he probably pushed him aside and probably he was filled with the Holy Spirit because God said he'd fill his mouth and give him the things that needed to be said, and he did say them. But before he went, he had every excuse in the world. Who am I that I should go? And we can all have that mindset. Who am I? We, we think so much of, of how powerful, how intellectual they are, and then we kind of come into the mindset, well, well, who am I? And we come to that mindset that can cause us to cower. But the more you're reduced, the more God increases. And who are you? You're a person filled with God. You're a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, and you have the most powerful testimony that ever has existed on earth. There's opportunity there. His lack of words, what shall I say? Well, we know we'll say the word of God. And as God said, he'll give us the word as we need the word. His lack of authority, they will not believe me. That's not for you to make that determination. That's not a concern of yours whether they believe you or not. You're just to go and to speak. See, his lack of ability, I am not eloquent. Don't need eloquence in the word. The apostle Paul was boring as the day is long. The man, what was his name, Eutychus? He, he fell out of a window and died. Paul had to go bring him back to life. He was bored to death of the apostle Paul. It's not about eloquence, it's about content. His lack of desire, please send by the hand of whomever else that you may send. There he is, Lord, send him. We can always be of that mindset rather than going ourselves. He has a lack of trust in God's abilities. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. It's all going to be done according to the timing of the Lord. And then there's the lack of the people accepting Moses as God's messenger. The children of Israel have not heeded me. Each and every one of us was blind. And you were even worse off than that. You were mute as well. And you were also deaf. You were deaf to the things of the Lord. You couldn't see the things of the Lord. Neither could you speak the things of the Lord. But he who created you, he recreated you. Why did he recreate you? He recreated you for his purposes. And just as that blind man went on to be a powerful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, you, we, us, we are to be just as a powerful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not based upon our abilities. That man, just as you, could do absolutely nothing for himself but he was changed. He was changed and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have been changed and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that can stand in opposition to us. The only one thing that can hinder us is our lack of faith in God. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith. It's the reason, Lord, that you have given us these occurrences of the past so that we would be encouraged for the future. And Lord, just the same way that you've worked in the Bible, the biblical days, you continue to work in our lives today. And so, Father, I pray that we would truly get that, that we would truly understand it and even embrace it. And as we do, Father, we would see that it's always been about common people used to the glory of God, because that's when the glory of God is able to truly be seen. It's the pride of man that dilutes the glory of God. And so, Father, I pray that we would be void of pride, but we would not allow humility, Father, to hinder us as well. So, Lord, help us to step outside of ourselves for your glory into this dying world that, Lord, we would truly be that light during these dark times. And again, it's always during those darkest times that the light shines the brightest. And so, Father, 
I pray that we would get this, and I pray, Father, that we would do this, and that you would be glorified through us, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? Saturday, the door-to-door ministry is going out, and so if you, I believe they're going out at 9 o'clock. Um, if you're able to be here, that'd be a blessing if you go out with them. Um, other than that, we don't really have, we're still recuperating from Vacation Bible School. Uh, it, was a, it was a blessing. Um, we'll be back at it, though, on Sunday morning. We're back in Second Timothy, and then back on Sunday night, we'll be back in the book of Isaiah. God bless you guys. Have a great end of the week.